The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his, with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl and the gate of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. So if you haven't already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Uh, two weeks ago, I mentioned that the world's idea of the Christmas season is very different from the church's season of Advent. Uh, Christmas season basically extends what you're supposed to be experiencing on Christmas Day backwards all the way till it backs up to Thanksgiving, right? So from Thanksgiving on, you're just supposed to be feeling the joyous spirit of Christmas. My kids and I watched a Christmas movie last night, and it was all about feeling that joyous spirit of Christmas. It doesn't even matter if you've got to slap a smile on and fake it, you better not pout, you better not cry, have joy, it's Christmas season. Ironically, this joy-filled Christmas season always sees a rise in depression, anxiety, 
loneliness? I think that's because there is a disconnect between the reality that we experience and the joy that we are claiming to feel at Christmas. Reality around us is a world that is, is broken. But it's Christmas time. Advent is very different from this. Advent is honest about the reality that surrounds us. There's no disconnect with Advent. Advent acknowledges the brokenness of our world as it longs, hopes, and waits for it to all be made new. But this this honesty about reality doesn't make Advent an entirely joyless season. No, there's not a disconnect between the reality that Advent acknowledges and joy. Advent actually serves to connect our difficult, broken reality with real, true, deep joy. It does that because this season reminds us of how God kept his promise to send Christ at his first Advent. Therefore, he will keep his promise to send Christ at his second. And it's the second coming, the second advent, this final coming of Christ, that when we see that it is as guaranteed as the annual coming of Christmas, that reality connects our advent-like lives of waiting, hoping, longing. It connects it with real, true joy. Advent is a season of honest joy. Yes, it's honest. Yes, this world is broken. But yes, there is a Savior who came and who is coming again to make all things new. Advent is a season of honest joy. This is why, this is why the third candle of the Advent wreath is pink. It's this pink candle of joy. All of the other candles are blue or purple, which is the liturgical color of hope indicating that we are in a season of hoping. Indeed, our lives are like Advent. Our lives are a season of hoping, longing, waiting for the coming of Christ. But invading this season, right in the middle of it, there is joy shining brightly. The pink candle of joy comes in the middle, right in the midst of Advent. It doesn't wait for the end. It interrupts. Shades, this is what it means. This, this is a picture of what it means for us to live Advent-like lives. That we are a people who are honest about the sorrows, all the blue and purple sorrows that fill our lives. But simultaneously, we are a people of real, true joy. This is just 2 Corinthians 6.10, right? We're a people who are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Because we see all of that sorrow in light of the coming of Christ who is coming to bring the work he began at Christmas to consummation. He is coming to bring our joy to consummation. And that joy doesn't just shine brightly from the third candle of the Advent wreath. It also shines brightly from the pages of Revelation. And we need to see it, shades, so that we will live our lives in its light. It's like that... The coming of Christ, the coming consummation of joy, it's, it's like a sunrise. You know how before, a sun, before the sun even breaks the horizon, it's already, light is already creeping into the world by which you can see? In a very similar way, the guaranteed coming of Christ, before it even breaks the horizon, before he comes, the, he, the guaranteed coming of Christ shines the light of joy right now into our lives even before he arrives. 
the consummation of joy empowers honest joy right now in the midst of our Advent-like lives. So, this morning, we need to see the consummation of joy, and we see it in Revelation 21. Begin reading with me. Verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So last week, in the first eight verses of this chapter, we saw the big picture of how Christ will make all things new at his second advent. We, we saw the place of new creation. We saw the people of the new Jerusalem. We saw the purpose of God dwelling with us. We saw the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And now, Revelation zooms in on the consummation of each of those four things, one at a time, so that through them we might see the consummation of joy. Let's see it by taking each of those four things one at a time. So first, the consummation of God's people. See the consummation of God's people. That's what we're seeing right here in verse 9. I know that because we have heard almost the exact words in verse 9 before. We heard them back in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 1. If you can remember, there's going to be a lot of that today. We're at the end, y'all. It's summing up everything. It just does a whole bunch of callbacks the entire time. If you can remember, Revelation 17, John was given a vision of Babylon, the great city, who was also pictured as an unfaithful woman, a prostitute. Ultimately, both of those things, Babylon, the great city, the prostitute, all of that was a symbol for the people who followed the beasts of this world. Let me read you Revelation 17.1 and Revelation 21.9 back to back. Listen for the parallel. This is 17.1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. 21.9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues who spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride of the wife of the Lamb. You hear it? Paralleled perfectly. And what is happening right here by this parallel is we are being invited to compare and contrast Babylon, the great city, with New Jerusalem, the holy city. We're, we're being beckoned to see the difference between the prostitute and the bride. To, to discern between the destiny of the people of the beast versus the people of Christ. This is a vision about people, God's people, us. And just like we previously saw Babylon's fall and the, the damnation of the beast people, now we see Jerusalem's future and the consummation of God's people. And it is a consummation of joy. Look at verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. Right here again, we are getting language that echoes other scripture, only this time it's echoing Ezekiel. Go back at some point. When you've got some time and you want to read a lot of measurements and numbers, go back, read Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48. There, the prophet is carried away to a very high mountain, just like here. 
And he's given a vision, not of a new city, but of a new temple. In fact, all throughout our passage today, you will find echo. If you look for him, you will find echo after echo after echo of Ezekiel's vision of the new temple, which is Revelation's way of saying that rebuilt temple that Ezekiel saw, here it is in fulfillment. Here's how it will really and truly ultimately be fulfilled, not in a physical rebuilt temple, but in the people of God who are the temple dwelling place of God. In Revelation 21, John doesn't see a temple. He sees a city, which is not what he was told he was going to see in the first place. He was told that he was going to see a bride. But when he looks, he sees a city. Revelation has done this to us before a number of times. Hear that you're going to see one thing, look and see another, and the images help to interpret one another. He hears he'll see a bride. He looks and he sees a city, a city which fulfills Ezekiel's vision of the temple. What in the world is going on? Shades. In Revelation 21, so many, many, many images are going to converge and just start collapsing into one another. And they're going to do it all underneath the banner of New Jerusalem. We're going to have bride imagery, city imagery, temple imagery. We're, we're going to have Garden of Eden imagery here. All of it piles, it was, it's like a middle school dog pile. Do you know, y'all do this? I don't know why we did this as middle schoolers, but we would just pick a person and we'd all just jump on them. That was a dog pile. All of the images are doing that right here at the end of Revelation. They're just piling up on top of one another to reveal the consummation of all God has ever promised to his people. From Eden, through the temple, all the way into the glory of the heavenly city, we are seeing Christ, the lamb-like groom, keep all of his promises to his bride his people that's what all of these images point to the people of christ the bride of the lamb we've been told that's the people of christ back in revelation 19 the the temple we've been told that's the people of christ back in revelation 11 the city we're going to be shown right now very clearly that that is the people of god and even all of the garden of eden imagery that we're going to encounter is focused on the restored relationship of god with his people this is the consummation of god's people this is his bride walking the aisle, and she's dressed for the occasion. Did you notice that? She's dressed in the very glory of God. Isn't that what verse 11 said? Look at it. She has the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. Jasper's not clear. It's opaque. Most likely even like a yellowish color. Right here, Revelation is, is stretching language to its breaking point to, to try and give us a glimpse of glory that is so far beyond us. You know the glory? This is what Revelation is doing. You know the glory of like a gem like Jasper? Okay, take that and then just put it to the millionth degree. It's so pure. It's so bright. It's so brilliant that it's clear as crystal. Revelation did the same thing for us back in Revelation chapter 4 when we got a vision of the throne room of God and it tried to describe to us what the glory of God looked like. The best it could do was say it was like precious gems. And now the church, Christ's bride, reflects that glory perfectly. This is the fulfillment of 1 John 3 and verse 2 promises this when christ appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he 
is. This is what God has promised you He will do. Justify you. Sanctify you throughout your life. And bring you all the way home to where He will glorify us. This is the consummation of God's people. And if you don't see it yet, I think it gets really clear in verses 12 to 14. Look at it with me. The city, it had a great high wall with 12. Hmm. Now there's a fun symbolic number that Revelation has thrown at us just a couple of times and always it has been pointing us to God's people. It's been symbolic of his people. See if 12 shows up a time or two right here. Had a great high wall with 12 gates and the gates and at the gates 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations on them, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles. Like he had to tell us there were 12 apostles after he said there were 12 names. All of this language right here about walls, gates, all of it comes out of that vision in Ezekiel that I told you about, Ezekiel's temple vision. But... Right here, it gets stirred in and mixed with Garden of Eden language. That actually already started happening back at the point we were told that John was carried to a high mountain. Throughout Scripture, high mountains are meeting places with God. The temple was built on the Temple Mount. There are Scriptures that seem to infer Eden itself was on top of a mountain. We're getting Eden imagery mixed in with the temple right here because at each gate stands an angel. Angels guarded the entrance to the Garden of Eden. That is after we sinned and broke fellowship with God and were forced out of Eden. Then angels stood guard to keep people out. But later on in this chapter, verse 25 is going to tell us that the gates of this city are never shut. In other words, these angels aren't posted here to keep people out. They keep the gates open to let people in. All of God's people. We know that because these gates bear the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the foundations of the city bear the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. That's Old Covenant community, New Covenant community. This is all of God's covenant people. All God's people. Here, in this, which, the fact that it's all of God's people, the culmination, the consummation of his people, the fact that it's all of his people, it gets emphasized again and again and again by the symbolic use of the number 12. Right here, we saw 12 used six different times. Just wait till we get to the measurements of this city. Twelves are just going to get tossed around in this passage like they're one of Oprah's favorite things. You get a 12, and you get a 12, and everybody gets a 12. This is all of God's people from every tribe, not just from Israel, but from every tribe, nation, people, language, and tongue because they come from the north, the south, the east, and the west, the four cardinal directions, four, which has been a symbolic number all throughout Revelation for worldwide. This is all of God's people throughout all time, throughout the entire world, entering into this city. And as they do, as they enter this city, they do so through the story of Israel fulfilled in Jesus. I want you to see that. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, all the way back at the beginning of this story that we're seeing come to a conclusion. In Genesis 12, God promised Abraham, the father of the Hebrew, the Israelite people, 
promised Abraham that all of the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. And here, in the end, all the nations enter this city by way of one nation. We enter through the story of Israel, the gates of the 12 tribes. We come in through their story, their story that has been fulfilled in Christ for the whole city is founded on the testimony of the 12 apostles. We enter this city through the gospel of Jesus made known to us through this word, Old and New Testament. The story of Israel fulfilled through the testimony of the, of the apostles. Do you, you see how that that works. This is what we are seeing here. God's people fully and finally with God because of coming to Him through the gospel of this Word. Shades, this is the consummation of, of God's people. This is the consummation of our joy. We will make it home. That's what we're seeing. We will make it home to full, forever joy in Jesus. And that empowers joy in Jesus now. Because in reality, we are already his people now. No, we have not yet been glorified like we're seeing here, but we are already his people, already being sanctified. Already, but not yet. That's language that we use all the time here at Shades because it's a framework that you see all throughout the New Testament that we, as God's people, experience a reality that is already here in one sense and not yet fully here in another sense. We are not yet fully glorified as God's people, but we are already being sanctified. We have not yet walked the aisle, but we are already his bride. And that changes everything about our lives right now. Just just take the image of a bride for a second. When, when a bride gets engaged, like does the coming wedding day not have a shaping effect on her every day? Like she's not married yet, but already the joy is invading and shaping her life. She lives in light of a promise. Shades, we do the same. We live in light of a promise, a promise that we hold in our hands in this book. We, we live as the bride of Christ right now by living in accordance with this word, living in light of this promise. This gospel is not just the way into and the foundation of our future. No, it is the way and the foundation of our lives in the present. This gospel, this word, it is the means that leads us to truly live Advent-like lives right now. Lives of honest joy right now because this word is honest. It's honest about the brokenness of this world. But this word, it also teaches you how to see all of that brokenness through the light of the coming of Christ. Shades, the consummation of God's people the consummation of our joy is coming and that empowers us to live as God's people, a people of honest joy right now. We see more of what that looks like through the second thing that Revelation 21 zooms in on, the consummation of God's place. We've seen the consummation of God's people, now the consummation of God's place. Look at verse 15. 
And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. Again, this is mirroring the Ezekiel temple vision where an angel measured the entire temple that Ezekiel saw with a rod. That's something we've actually already seen in Revelation before. If you go back to the first couple of verses of Revelation chapter 11, John had a vision of a temple being measured with a rod. But if you remember there, only the inner court of the temple was measured. The outer court, the rest of the city, that was left to be trampled by the nations. All of that symbolized the spiritual protection of God's people even though they would suffer physical persecution from the nations. Measuring has symbolized God's sovereign protection. And in Revelation 21, it symbolizes the same thing. But, unlike the temple of Revelation 11 or the temple of Ezekiel's vision, we're not measuring part of a temple here. We're not even measuring a whole temple which would be part of a city. No, we right here in Revelation 21 are measuring the whole city. This is symbolic of the whole new creation being under the sovereign protection of God. All threats gone here. All sin ceased. All death defeated. The city is a symbol of God's place. It is a symbol of new creation. Now I know you're thinking, Jonathan, you just said that this city is a symbol of God's people. Now you're saying it's a symbol of God's place. Yes. Don't get overly literal with the image that you're being given right here of this this city. We've seen that it's a symbol for God's people, but like many symbols in Revelation, the symbol does double duty. It's also a symbol of new creation. That becomes really clear in the next verse. Look at verse 16. The city, so in other words, I'm trying to say this is not a city within new creation. Don't get that literal. This is new creation. We see that right here. Verse 16. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city, whole thing, with his rod. 12,000 stadia, more 12s coming at you, made huge. The city, its length, its width, and its height are equal. This thing's a cube. It's a ginormous cube. Because if you do the math, the perimeter of this cube basically about 5,500 miles. You're not meant to do that conversion because we lose the symbolism of the 12,000 stadia, but that just gives you an idea of how, how big this is. And if you get overly literal with this, things get pretty weird pretty quick. However, if this ginormous cube is symbolic, it makes perfect sense as a symbol for new creation. Because that perimeter, 5,500 miles, that is roughly the perimeter of the known world in Greco-Roman culture. In other words, this city symbolizes the whole world. All of it. Why is it a cube? There's only one other cube in Scripture. The Holy of Holies. The place inside of tabernacle or later the temple where the presence of God was was palpable, a place that no one was allowed to go into except the high priest and him only one time a 
a year. The place that was blocked off with a, with a, a veil that was embroidered with angels, angels symbolically standing guard to keep people out of the presence of God, just like with Eden. Shades, do you see what Revelation 21 is saying with this new Jerusalem as new creation? By its size, it's saying all of creation. By its shape, it's saying has become the holy of holies. All creation, all of God's place made his full and forever dwelling place. This is the fulfillment of 2 Peter 3.13. According to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And now it does. This is the consummation of God's place. All of earth, the holy of holies, all of creation made into Eden. That becomes even more clear when you read verses 17 to 21. I'm not going to read through it. Daniel did a great job pronouncing all of those stones for us. But when you read through verses 17 to 21, this whole city is described as being made of pure gold, like Solomon's temple, all of creation like a temple. Pure gold, like Genesis 2.11 tells us, was in the land of Eden, all of creation made like Eden restored. This is like Eden and the temple writ large, magnified. That's why each gate is a single pearl. A pearl, <laughs> people, like the little things the clams make, or gates, one pearl. The street of this place is paved with the most precious thing we value. This, this is the temple, this is Eden writ large. We're told that the city's foundations are made up of 12 precious stones. I would make an argument that they are the same 12 stones found in the breastplate of the high priest that he wore into the Holy of Holies. All of creation, Holy of Holies. These stones are also similar to those that Genesis tells us beautified Eden. Now they're all over creation. This is Eden extended, which one could make an argument that that was the original vocation of humanity, to take Eden and extend it, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth until the entire globe is covered with the glory of God. That's a fulfillment of Habakkuk 2.14. That one day the glory of God would cover the entire earth as the waters cover the sea. You know how the waters cover the sea? Completely. This is Eden extended to the ends of the earth. Shades, new creation, heaven, is not how it's been pictured for you in caricatures and cartoons. It is not an eternal church service in the clouds. It is life as it was meant to be lived. It's Eden redeemed. I think that the fact that this is life as it was meant to be lived is being communicated to us by the fact that this is pictured for us as a city, a society where life happens. You want to know what, what eternity looks like? Look back at Eden and extend that to the ends of the earth. We work. We play. The prophet Isaiah says that we will build houses and live in them, plant vineyards, and we will have fun out living trees. New creation, in other words, is life. 
As it was meant to be lived. Life as God designed it. Life as God's people in God's place. And it's coming, Shades. Full, forever joy in God's place is coming. And that empowers joy in us right now because we are already citizens of His place right now. No, new creation is not yet fully here, but we are already microcosms of new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he, she is a new creation. You are a microcosm of what's coming. You are already a little holy of holies where the Spirit of God dwells. And we bear witness to the coming of new creation, that day when every square inch of this world will be the holy of holies. We bear witness to that by living as new creations, where every square inch of our lives is a holy of holies. Every every area of my heart, of my mind, of my life is God's. I, I live it in accordance with this word as a testimony to the world of the new world that's coming. I live an Advent-like life. A life that's honest about the brokenness of this world, but that is joyous because it sees all of that sorrow in light of the coming of Christ. Shades, the consummation of God's place, the consummation of joy is coming. That empowers us to live as God's people, people of honest joy right now. We see more of what this looks like through the third thing that Revelation 21 zooms in on. Number three, the consummation of God's purpose. We've seen the consummation of his people, his place, now his purpose. Look at verses 22 to 27. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The consummation of God's people and the consummation of his place is for a specific purpose that we see right here. It is for the specific purpose of us dwelling with God that we might enjoy his glory. Is that not what we see? consummation of his people, consummation of his places for the consummation of this purpose that we might dwell with God and enjoy his glory and shades. Right here, we see Revelation issuing a warning. A warning that we need to hear. It warns us that if you want God's place but not for God's purpose, you're not a Christian. Lots of people want God's place. New creation, heaven, Whatever, because they see it as some kind of retirement on steroids. A place of ultimate self-centered self-indulgence. But such a life has nothing to do with heaven and reality and everything to do with hell. What makes new creation heaven is that we get God. 
Not that we get a place, but a person. We get Jesus. This is the purpose. It's the purpose for which He made creation. This is what all of creation has been pointing you to your entire life. That's what Romans 1 says. That all of creation points us to joy in the glory of God. Every every sunset, the joy that you get in a sunset, that's just a taste of the joy of the glory of the one who painted it. Your family, the joy that you feel in your family, that's just a taste of the joy of the glory of your ultimate father. Christmas. Christmas is coming, right? Your joy on Christmas morning is just a taste of the joy in the glory of the Christ who came at Christmas and who is coming again. Last uh, last week, uh, we were recording the Shades Midweek podcast, and John Mark started talking about how he enjoys Christmas Eve more than Christmas Day. Brad asked him why. You should go listen to it. He sounds like a 10-year-old when he goes, the magic of Christmas. But he goes on to talk, and, and, and what he said was that it's, it's the anticipation. Joy more, because it's the anticipation of the coming joy. But he went on to say that, that he likes that more than the actual day of Christmas because somehow Christmas never quite lives up to what you're anticipating. It comes and it goes. The glory of Christmas fades, and with it, Fades the joy that it gave. But shades, the day to which Christmas points. Christmas is not primarily about Christ's first coming. It's meant to point us to his second. The day to which Christmas points is coming. Christ is coming. And when he does, he will never leave. We will experience the joy of an eternal Christmas experience the glory of an eternal Christmas that will give eternal joy. Joy in the glory of Christ, Emmanuel, who will be forever God with us. It will be like a sunset that never sets. It will be like a family that lasts forever. A Christmas morning that never quits dawning. All of creation, everything we've experienced and every longing and heartache that it's created in us, all of it has been pointing us toward, making us long for an eternal joy in the eternal glory of our creator this is the purpose for which we were created and its consummation is coming its consummation is coming because verse 22 declared that in the city of new creation there is no temple no need for the place that pointed to god's presence because god is present with us the purpose for which he made us consummated he's present with us new creation's temple is the lord god almighty and the lamb and his glory floods and fills all of new creation to the point that its brightness is such that verse 23 says new creation needs no other source of light its glory shines brightly eternally its full brightness no other light needed forever it shines eternally because verse 25 says there will be no more night no more night so this city's gates never need be shut in the ancient world city gates were shut at night for protection but this place has no night just like last week we saw no more sea all of these these are images these are pictures for no more 
evil. Verse 27 explicitly says, no evil will ever enter this city. Look at verse 27. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, only those who treasure the Lamb. Shades, do you hear the warning that Revelation is issuing Those who do what is detestable, those who are false, will not enter new creation. We've seen again and again in Revelation that those who are detestable, those who are false, are specifically those who have claimed to belong to Christ and yet their lives have proven otherwise. You remember the original seven churches to whom Revelation was written? Do you remember that there were so many we saw in those churches who were false, claimed to belong to Christ, but did what was detestable, compromised with their culture, participated in its idolatry and in its immorality? They were pseudo-Christians, false believers. They may have said that they want heaven, God's place, but they didn't want God. They wanted God's place, but not for God's purpose. Shades, do you want God? Do you want Jesus? Do verses 22 to 27 make new creation seem more like heaven to you? Or would you be okay without them? True Christians, those who stream into this city from all nations, they come for the purpose of getting God. They come for the consummation of their joy in the glory of God. Look at verse 24. By its light, that's the light of Jesus' glory. By the light of Jesus' glory will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into the city. Verse 26, they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Everywhere else that that phrase has been used, glory and honor, everywhere else that that's been used in Revelation, It's being given to the one who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Glory and honor to the one who's on the throne and unto the Lamb. Same thing's happening here. This is the nations coming to give all glory and honor to Jesus for everything ever. They joyously come. This is like a parade that's being pictured here. They joyously come to magnify His glory. This is the consummation of God's purpose and it's coming. Full, forever joy in the glory of God is coming. And that empowers joy in us right now. It empowers us to seek joy in the glory of God right now. Is that not the very reason that we have come here this morning? Like even amidst our broken lives, we've come together or we are watching on the live stream, we have come together in whatever way that we can to glorify God. And to confess that He is our joy. Have we not been honest earlier in our service, in our confession of sin, honest, confessing the brokenness in our lives, the brokenness in our world? And have we not heard the the joy of God's glory and the assurance of pardon, the good news of the gospel? Is this not how we live all of our lives as an Advent people? Honest about the world's brokenness, but joyous for we see all of that sorrow in light of the coming of 
Christ. Shades, it is true, He has not yet come, but we already live finding joy in His glory. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all for the glory of God, and that is our joy. This is the purpose of all of life. It's the consummation of God's purpose, and it's coming, Shades. That empowers us to live as God's people, a people of honest joy right now. Shades, we are empowered. Ultimately, because all of this, everything we've talked about so far this morning, all of it is promised. And God's promises will come to consummation. That's the fourth and final thing this section of Revelation zooms in on, the consummation of God's promise. Seeing the consummation of his people, his place, his purpose, finally the consummation of God's promise. Ignore the chapter break. Look at verse 1 of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, a tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This is the consummation of everything that God has ever promised. This is true life. True life flowing from the very throne of God as a gift from God. This is the gift that He promised He would give us through Christ. True life. Look where it flows. It flows right up the middle of the street of the city. That that phrase, the street of the city, that has only been used one other time in Revelation. It occurred back in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 8. There, it was the street of the great city and it was the place of the saints' defeat where their bodies laid sprawled out dead in the middle of the street. But now in the middle of the street of the holy city flows the very source of the saints' victory and life. This is the promise, the ultimate promise of no defeat in death, no defeat in life, conquering through Christ. This is the promise of life redeemed. This is the promise of Eden restored. Because did you see the tree of life is also here? In fact, it's a whole forest of them. I know it says the tree singular, but we do that too. We talk about an oak grove when we're talking about a bunch of oak trees. These are on both sides of this stinking river. It's a forest of trees of life. And they're bearing 12 kinds of, of fruit, a different fruit for each of the 12 months of the year. All these 12 symbolizing that this fruit is for the people of God. The place of God has been restored for the people of God to enjoy the purpose of God. This is Eden restored. This is the curse of sin reversed. Sin that destroyed our relationships with one another. That's reversed right here. We're told that the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Leaves. Remember those from Genesis 3? The things that Adam and Eve used to cover their nakedness for sin had brought guilt, shame, and blame into their relationship and such sin, shame, guilt, blame has existed between all human relationships, all nations ever since. But now the leaves are no longer a symbol of our separation but of our reconciliation. The leaves are for the healing of the nations. This is the healing of all war, of all violence, of all racism, of all supremacist ideology, of all political division, of all hate. I don't know if there will be Facebook and Twitter in the new heavens and the new earth, but if they are, they'll be healed of hate. Miracle of miracles. 
all of it healed. This is Eden restored. The reverse of sin's curse. Sin that destroyed not just our relationships with one another, but destroyed our relationship with creation itself. That's reversed. Look at verse 3. It says, No longer will there be anything accursed. Thorns, thistles, the struggle to survive in this cursed creation that seems to oppose us with its own will and want to put us to death through tsunamis and tornadoes and earthquakes and wildfires. The struggle to survive in this cursed creation will be over a thing of the past. My wife tells me that that will include roaches. She says they're, they're not welcome. They're a part of the curse is what she says. It's what she tells me. This is new creation, Eden restored, sin's curse reversed, sin that not only destroyed our relationship with each other, our relationship with creation, but most significantly of all, sin that destroyed our relationship with God. That's reversed, redeemed. Shades, this is the pinnacle of all of God's promises. I got nothing higher for you than this. Verse three. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. In Exodus, God declares nobody can see my face and live. Nobody could except for his son. And because of his son purchasing us, justifying us, sanctifying us, and glorifying us, we have this pinnacle promise. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. Like the high priest who was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies once a year, the name of the Lord was on his forehead inscribed on the very turban that he wore it declared him holy unto the lord and now all of the saints who have been eternally sealed with the name of god will be made permanently holy unto the lord permanently priests in his presence will see his face this is the consummation of god's promise this is what you have lived your whole life longing for this is the deepest pain in your gut this is your soul wanting to be satisfied this is all of those longings all those hurts all those pains that you don't know how to heal quench or satisfy this is the sun that never sets. This is the father that never leaves. This is the fountain that never runs dry. This is the Christmas that never concludes. We will see his face, shades. And verse 5 says, And night will be no more. And they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's a promise that Jesus made to the church at Laodicea all the way back in Revelation 3.21. To the one who conquers, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. We will reign forever and ever. In fact, go back, go back to every promise Jesus made in Revelation 2 and 3 to all seven of those churches and compare it with Revelation 21 and 22. All seven promises come to consummation right here. This is the consummation of all God's promises and it's coming. It's coming, for he purchased it, bought it with his blood. Have you noticed what Christ has been called all throughout this passage? The lamb, 
You would think we would be done with that language here at the end. And yet here at the end is where it is most prominent. You will find Christ called the lamb more at the end of Revelation than anywhere else. He purchased every promise that you're seeing come to consummation. He guaranteed them all by his resurrection. He began the reversal of the curse on Easter Sunday morning and he will bring it to conclusion. The lamb purchased all these promises and he will come and guarantee their consummation by his very presence. We will be his people glorified because we'll see him as he is. We'll be in his presence. His place will be made the holy of holies because he will be present. The purpose of God dwelling with us, it'll be fulfilled because he will be present. Every promise kept by the presence of Christ who purchased them all, this fool forever joy is coming. And shades, this empowers joyful perseverance now. Amidst the brokenness of relationships between people, we persevere in being a people of reconciliation right now. Yeah, the day that all of that is perfectly healed is not yet here, but already we persevere in being a people of reconciliation. We fight racism, discrimination, bitterness, unforgiveness at every level. We do it as witnesses to the joyous promise that reconciliation among the nations is coming. We, we bear witness to that amidst the brokenness of creation right now. Amidst hurricanes and tsunamis and wildfires and tornadoes, we persevere in being a people of reconciliation. We're not careless with creation. No, we care for it. And we care for those people that it harms through all of its brokenness. We do this bearing witness to the joyous promise that the redemption of creation is coming. We do this amidst the brokenness of our world that is estranged from God. We bear witness to the fact that reconciliation with God is possible through His Son, Jesus Christ. With our words and our wounds, and our wounds, we proclaim the good news of His gospel. We bear witness with our Advent-like lives that yes, we say with our Advent-like lives, with our words and with our wounds, we say yes, this world is broken but we call the world to see all of those sorrows in light of the joyous promise of a Savior who came and who is coming again. And he will bring his people, his place, his purpose, and his promise to consummation. Shades, the consummation of our joy is coming. Let that empower you right now to live as God's people, people of honest joy in this place for his purpose powered by his promise. The consummation is coming.